Well, some years ago, I got the privilege of being invited to a retreat in Egypt in the Wadi Nantrun Desert, which is sort of out west from Cairo, in the middle of nowhere, to be led by a Coptic Orthodox monk on a week's retreat. I was so excited. It was such a privilege. I just read and started to study the Desert Fathers, and I wanted to be one. And so I was so excited to be going. Part of that trip was that we were invited to go to the ancient monastery of St. Macarius, where the crypt of John the Baptist and Elijah the prophet and relics were discovered. And we were invited by these Coptic Orthodox monks to join in with their morning prayer in a chapel that had been worshipped in since 360 AD. Ancient chapel of prayer and praise. And as these monks, these Coptic Orthodox monks, in their robes came in and filled this small ancient chapel, they gathered around this incredible huge copy of God's word, and there they led a chant through one of the Psalms. As their voices filled this incredible chapel, and as God's presence fell, I got to experience firsthand an ancient form of giving thanks, of chanting through a psalm together out loud. So this morning, I thought I'd lead us in a chant through one of the psalms. Would you all please stand? And at this point, you're wondering, is he really going to do this? And I'm not. I'm so sorry. I, I really, really, really... I can't chant, so I shan't, okay? But what we are going to do is we're going to practice going through a psalm of thanksgiving together as God's people, something that God's people have done for centuries. So together, we're going to read out loud as it comes up on the screen. There it is. We're going to read out loud Psalm 100. So let's do this together. Let's say it together. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. And his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Is how the church traditionally responds. Please do take a seat. For centuries, the church has made a habit and practice of gathering around Scripture and reading it out loud as a way to worship and give thanks, irrespective of what's going on in the world around them, to remind themselves of their story in God, to remember who he is and all he's done, to maintain their wonder, awe, joy, and faithfulness to him, and to carry them through some of the darkest moments in the history of the church. Moments that, quite frankly, make our last 18 months look like Jesus in Disneyland. Giving thanks is the product of an inward experience resulting in an upward focus and an outward expression. I'm going to say that again. Giving thanks 
is the product of an inward experience of God resulting in an upward focus and an outward expression of praise and wonder and thanks to him. And the psalmist shows us that when we contemplate who God is and remind ourselves of all that he's done, when we come to the realization that this is the kind of God that we serve, when we come to the realization that this is the kind of God we belong to, we cannot but help but turn ourselves up and out in worship and praise to him. That should be our spontaneous reaction. There is power in building a habit and lifestyle of giving thanks to God. Psychologists tell us that sincere gratitude and thanksgiving is one of the healthiest habits we can build. Hans Selye, the founder of stress theory, said that gratitude produces more positive energy than any other attitude in life. Giving thanks can break the power of sadness, fear, anger, and anxiety. It can overcome cynicism. It can break open a hard and critical heart. It can help us to become more peaceful, joyful, and content. And it can shatter self-pity and lift us out of living lives as victims. And more importantly than all, it aligns ourselves to God's created order. Our thoughts and our hearts are aligned to God's, and it releases a spirit of praise. And the reason gratitude is so important is that the Bible is literally woven together. It's held together with the theme of gratitude. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for thanks is yadah. Want to say that with me? Yadah. That sort of feels good, doesn't it, when you say it? Yadah. Which means to make a public acknowledgement and to throw out our hands in an expression of thanks. It can also mean to confess. So it comes with a double meaning of publicly proclaiming God's name and confessing our sins. And God's people made a habit of building their lives around Yadah to their God. When Abraham encountered God, he made a practice to humble himself, to pause, and to mark that place by building an altar to God in praise and Yadah, in praise and thanksgiving. In Genesis 12, it tells us that the Lord, Abraham, uh, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared before him. From there, he went on to the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And this practice of building a rhythm of giving thanks goes on into generation after generation after generation through Abraham's son and grandsons. Noah, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses all built altars of giving thanks to God, reminding themselves of what he'd done for them. And you can see this pattern over and over again through God's story of people building altars at particular times and particular places to worship, offer sacrifice, and give thanks to God. Do you have altars in your life? Bookmark place. 
bookmarked places where you come back to constantly to remind yourself of who your God is. Constantly remembering, reenacting, and expressing gratitude to God. The altars became stories. And the stories became memories. And the memories became festivals and rem- days of remembrance for the Jewish people that were marked by thanksgiving, not just individually, not just as families, but as communities. Sabbath, as many of you will know, is a day of rest. It's a day of weekly rest where we observe and give thanks to God for the completion of creation. Yom Kippur is the remembering of the Day of Atonement, a day devoted to self-examination, thanks and the chance to begin the new year with a clean slate. Sukkot is a celebration of the fall harvest, commemorating the time when the Hebrews dwelt in the Sinai wilderness on their way to the promised land. And Hanukkah, which is a festival celebrating the liberation from oppression, freedom of worship, and finding light in the midst of darkest of times. These are just to name a few of the moments when the Jewish community would stop to remember to remind and to give thanks for who their God is. As a community, they made a practice of shaping their lives and their calendars throughout a year. They made a practice around remembering, reminding, and giving gratitude to God for all that he had done for them as a people. And this kept them connected to their story of God. It's how they remember who he is, what he's done, how he's shaped them and formed them. It was a part of the very fabric of their identity as his children. And this theme of building a lifestyle of thanks is picked up by the psalmists. We've just read together through one of the most famous ones of Psalm 100. In Psalm 50 verse 14, the psalmist says this, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. In Psalm 107, verse 8, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. And this becomes the prayer book of Israel. And when we get to the New Testament, we get a new word for thanks from the ancient Greek. I feel under pressure. I have some Greek friends on the front row here today. I'm slightly under pressure as I pronounce this. Eucharisto. Eucharisto. How does that sound? Eucharisto. It's an ancient Greek work, and it means to give thanks, or I'm giving thanks. It's also the root word that we get the Eucharist from. At key moments of his life, Jesus turned to the Psalms as his own prayer book for words to express his deepest thoughts, emotions, and give gratitude to God. His heart and mind were literally saturated with the words and thoughts of the Psalms. As he prayed aloud in the temple, as he grew up, and as he went off for private times of solitude and prayer with God, he would have sat in and soaked in and memorized and then spoke out loud, giving thanks through the Psalms. So much so that he embodied a lifestyle of constantly giving thanks to the Father. Just a few examples. 
He gave thanks for food. When he took seven loaves and a few fish and fed 4,000, he began with giving thanks. When he broke five loaves and two fish and fed 5,000, he gave thanks. When he was asked to have dinner with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, he gave thanks. Jesus, the creator and sustainer of all things, gives thanks for simple provision. This seems the simplest thing on earth to do, and maybe that's exactly the point. Maybe it's where we should start and never stop giving thanks. He also gives thanks for the mystery of the kingdom of God that's revealed to common people. I have to confess, I find this rather personally reassuring. In the middle of teaching his disciples in Matthew 11, he begins to praise God with these words. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. There's something about the capacity of little children and thanks, isn't there? Something for us profound to learn on, different message, but there's something in there. Looking at the fishermen and everyday workers, he couldn't contain his gratitude that the almighty God, God the Father, chose to reveal himself to them and not to the educated, religious, or social elite. That should encourage us. Jesus stands at the tomb of his friend Lazarus, about to raise him from the dead, and he looks up to heaven and he declares in the Gospel of John, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they might believe you sent me. The answer was not yet visible. The prayer had not yet been answered, but he turned to God in praise and gave thanks. And lastly, and the most challenging of all, Jesus gave thanks for the provision of God's ultimate sacrifice of himself. With his enemies plotting his death and Gethsemane and Golgotha ahead, he takes the bread representing his body that's about to be broken. And he takes the cup of wine representing his blood that's about to be shed. And in the face of his own unbearable suffering, he chooses to give thanks Just contemplate that for a moment. Contemplate being at that table. Imagine what's going through his own mind and heart at the point of the realization of what's about to happen, at the point of realizing that God was about to fulfill his plans through his own self-sacrifice. He chooses to break bread and take wine. And he gives thanks. And his broken body and his poured out blood become the new altar for all of humanity. 
to know and experience the love and grace of God and make it their altar of thanksgiving forever. If you want to know where to start, start sitting in that place. Sit in that place. The invitation of the whole Bible is to become a thankful people in attitude and lifestyle. Constantly giving thanks to God, irrespective of the circumstances we face. And this is what Paul practices while writing what's known as the prison epistles. Name this because he wrote these letters while in prison. Listen to what he writes in Ephesians 1.3. Praise be to God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. I don't know about you, but a filthy, rotten, rather uncomfortable jail in Rome doesn't cause me to feel like I want to say blessed. In Philippians, I thank God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy of your partnership in the gospel. So not only does he not fall in on himself as a victim, which quite frankly I would do if I was in jail, I don't know about you, I'm not sure I'd be saying, wow, I'm thinking of all of the people of vintage, thanking them for their faith while I'm incarcerated. In 1 Thessalonians, we get some of his most famous words of encouragement. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Paul had been run out of town, beaten, whipped, imprisoned, betrayed by friends, naked, cold, hungry, shipwrecked and stoned because of his faith, yet he never stopped the discipline of giving thanks. Ah! (laughs) You get me? You see, Paul had learnt the secret that when you develop the muscle memory of constantly coming back to God irrespective of the circumstances you face and giving thanks to him, it expands your vision of just how big and how amazing and how awesome our God is. And it makes the circumstances just... You get me? God's vision. If we become a people of thanksgiving, it fills us with a constant reminder of who God is and gives us the capacity to see that he's so much bigger than any circumstances we could face. His voice becomes louder. His presence becomes stronger. And our life is turned up and out toward him in gratitude and thanks. The problem is, in a culture like ours in LA, it's just so easy to take what we have for granted and lose our capacity for thanks. If you're anything like me, you make these decisions constantly in your prayer life. I'm, I'm going to be one of those people that just become really content, just thankful. I'm going to pray, Lord, make me content with what I have. And then just when I think I'm doing okay, 
I drive up Wilshire and see the billboard for the new iPhone. <laughs> you know how it goes. And you look up at the billboard and you see the phone. It doesn't have one of those little black things or two of those little black. It has four of them, four lenses. And then you get yours out. <laughs> it just doesn't quite have the same value anymore. It just doesn't quite see. You know, there's things. I, I knew, I, there's, th there's a problem with my iPhone. It's a problem with my iPhone. And you know, you have those events like Thanksgiving when someone says, let's take a selfie. And you'll go, yeah, let's take a selfie. Who's got the best phone? And someone says, I've got the 13. Eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. There's 13? There's 13. Listen, Mr. Apple, I know you're listening, whether I've given you permission or not. You could even be watching. We don't need any new iPhones. This thing has formed my children more than I have. And while I've got your attention, Mr. Apple, stop changing the plugs and the chargers to make more money out of us. <laughs> I'm really content with my basic Honda Civic. I think it's pretty cool. Windows down, sunny day. EDM playing loud, pull up to the traffic lights, look to my left, brand new model Tesla. Just slowly sink down and bring the window back up, just ever so slowly. You know how it goes. Don't pretend you don't get these same inklings that I get. I really love our two-bedroom apartment in West LA. I feel really content. It's got more space than we need until I do a wrong turn and end up in Nomo or the Palisades. And then I see those, those mansions, those minimalistic ones with the concrete and the funky gardens. I really like those. Like, I really like those. Listen, we don't need any more stuff. We have more than enough. We have more than we need. What we need is more time on our knees in prayer, humbling ourselves and saying, God, help us to be thankful for what we have and help us to become better human beings. This stuff is not making us better human beings, is it? The problem is we get so accustomed to all that we have, we take it for granted, and it no longer has the power to generate thanksgiving. So we begin to want more. Just to, just to, yeah. And that cycle begins. And I've lost the capacity to be content and thankful for all that I have. Ralph Waldo Emerson once said that if the stars came out only once a year, everybody would stay up all night to behold them. We have seen the stars so often that we don't bother to look at them anymore. In like manner, we have grown so accustomed to our blessings and quite frankly, we've become spoiled. The invitation shouting at us from Scripture and the history of the church is to become a people who are shaped and formed by the practice of remembering, reminding and giving thanks to God. Have you made a habit of building altars? Have you made a habit of building altars of thanksgiving? 
that you can go back to and you can stand back in that place and remember that moment that God did that amazing thing for you, that God spoke to you through Scripture, that God provided for you, that you felt and experienced God's love, that you knew that you knew that you knew that you knew you belonged to him. Have you got those altars in your story that you can go back to so that you are furnished with places you go back to and they cause you to remember, remind, and give thanks to him? It's the only way you'll sustain yourself in a culture like, like ours. I know some of us here are facing difficult circumstances and my encouragement to you will be to implement a practice and habit of thanksgiving right now in the midst of whatever it is you are going through and just see what God can do. We are to be a people who are to come to the altar of Jesus Christ's broken body and poured out blood and give thanks. In sorrow and in joy, we are to break bread and give thanks. In birth and in death, we are to break bread and give thanks. In gain and in loss, we break bread and give thanks. In plenty and in nothing, we break bread and give thanks. In sickness, and in health, we break bread and give thanks. In laughter and in the midst of tears, we break bread and give thanks. And in grief and in moments of incredible glory, we break bread and give thanks. When we do this, it orients our life toward God. It gives us that inner experience it turns our lives up and out towards him. And his vision, our vision of him becomes bigger and greater than anything we're facing in the world. That's the invitation of scripture. And the history of the church testifies that God meets with his people when they become a people of thanksgiving. Let's take a moment to pray.